All right, well, welcome back to another edition, a Halloween edition of the 360 Preps podcast. Joined here, I'm Tim Martinez here, joined here today with uh, Meg Wachnick and Andy Bueller. Um, we're, uh, we're getting ready for football playoffs, actually playoffs for everything now. We're in, we're in playoff mode. Um, week 10 uh, preliminary round or state qualifying round games, a lot of games going on. Um, and then this year with the seating committees, uh, things take a little bit di different wrinkle. Uh, Meg's got a story coming in in Thursday's edition of Columbia and sort of uh, giving a little bit of background about uh, how these committees are working and, and what are they looking for. Yeah, um, this was something I thought about not long after um, the WIA decided in June to do this kind of a one-year trial um, state seating committee. I thought, you know, it'd be good to maybe get uh, a committee member who would open uh, and be honest about what they've gone through this year, what maybe directives that they've gotten from the WIA. And um, fortunately, I got uh, one response, John Halad out at uh, Columbia White Salmon. Um, he spent the last six years as the head coach of the Bruins, stepped down back in the spring uh, to spend more time with his kids. But he really wanted to be just a part of this inaugural process. And one of the things that John was open and honest about was just what really goes into um, this whole committee thing. I know there's a lot of kind of uncertainty of what's gonna happen at 9 a.m. Sunday when they decide to do uh, the round of 16 for all uh, six classifications. But one thing, as he talked about, was trying to just gather as much data as humanly possible, whether it's attending games, whether it's spending all the hours up trying to re-up on media outlets and social media. And what I thought was really neat was how much travel that John has done this entire year. He goes to games every week. He's traveled as far as Bellingham to watch games. He's traveled as far as the Yakima area where he's originally from to see games. And he's also seen locally Hawkinson defending two way state champs twice. And so he tries to take an analytical approach about what um, he sees from these, these uh, games that he's watching. I asked him kind of go into some detail about that. and he talked about what goes into a win or a loss because again the final score of a game doesn't always tell the story and so when he's at a game he likes to see what goes into his team's win or on the other side what goes into his team's loss so it's pretty interesting to see what these committee members are going through uh, week in and week out yeah as I was reading the story and I was like wow you know this is this is someone who's really going out and they went all the way up to Whatcom County which is what, Bellingham? Bellingham area, yeah. Up at the yep. Canadian border and out to the central part of the state. He's going over, looking at teams, you know, trying to see teams multiple times. But I'm thinking that most of these committee members aren't going to have that opportunity because many of them are active coaches. Correct, yeah. I mean, locally you look at, for example, the 4A and 3A committee, and these are joint committees. Um, Matt Gracie of Heritage, the head coach, is also on the committee. Okay, He's, he's busy on Friday nights for nine straight weeks at least. Uh, Adam Matheson, the head coach and AD at Mountain View, same thing. He's busy um, for nine weeks, and now hopefully it will be ten after after this this weekend's game against Ballard. But there's a lot of coaches and a lot of administrators, and traveling is not as easy like John John makes it be. And well, John it, took a he, he took a Friday off of work, I think, to go uh, to go to it was either Bellingham or Yakima area. Like he actually took a day off of work. To, to commit to that, which just I guess shows the dedication. There. Yeah, and, and you got to remember these these coaches and administrators, committee members are not getting paid. The only payment, quote unquote, they're getting is essentially the mileage to drive up to Renton 
uh, this Sunday to determine the state seatings. After that, it's it's all on their own. So this shows really the dedication, like you said, Andy, of of how badly these um, these coaches and administrators want this process to work. Yeah, I, you know, as I mentioned in my column on Monday, is I think I think it's a good solution because there's just so many things that you need to take into account, and a lot of the metrics that are out there, whether it was RPI or even some of these computer generated, they only they only look at part of the, the information, like you said, scores. Scores don't tell you the whole thing. I mean, we've been to games that are 40 to nothing that were actually close, and we've been to games that are 40 to nothing that were not close. So, um, so you know, the scores don't don't tell you everything. But you know, it's, it's interesting that they're taking. It's like they're taking a look at a lot of different pieces of the puzzle, and they're trying to make sense of it. Um, you know, a, a lot of the you know the the media folks who vote on the polls every week like like this week for instance I was doing uh, I was doing the ballot for the Columbians ballot for the AP poll and at 4a I had, I had union number one because that's where I've had union number one for the last several weeks uh, previously I had Mount Sy number two and they lost a tough game to Woodenville and so the natural progression is that well then Lake Stevens which was three moves up but I don't know that Lake Stevens is better or worse than Mount Si or Woodenville or right. Piala or right. Graham Capaldi. I don't know. You know, really, it's like about half a dozen teams in there that you can just kind of intermix and jumble. And you know, until you actually get on the field, it's kind of hard to sort them out simply from looking at their results and stuff. And then another thing that that is an issue, and and Oregon kind of dealt with this this year because uh, I got a. a Somebody tweeted at me asking if, if I liked the Oregon football setup or if I liked Washington. Um, I think he actually sent it to all of us. And, uh, and he was p upset about the fact that this year at the 6A level in Oregon, they're restricting how many league games they have to play. You know, if, they have a, if you're in an eight-team or a nine-team league, you don't have to play eight league games. You can only have to play, like, I think four is the minimum or five. And the idea there is that, um, one, a lot of those games were very lopsided, and so it gives them a chance to get more better competition. But also it helps what I, what I call create the churn within the state where you play different teams from different leagues and you kind of you know get an idea where the league strengths are and, what, and stuff. And, and watching that, that doesn't happen. You know, um, The North Puget Sound League, they broke up into competitive divisions this year, which limited how many league games they were required to play, but a lot of them just were playing teams from the other league divisions. And right. so you can't, it's kind of like, well, yeah, that, this team is eight and one, but they haven't really played anyone outside the little area. And so it's kind of hard to see what that eight and one means. Or you look at the Northwest Conference where they play each other twice on home right. and home. They've been doing that for a number of years since it's been a multi-classification league up in Bellingham area. You know, yeah, so one, you know, so one, what, so they, Two teams played twice, and one team won the first time, and then the other team won the second time. It's like, well, what does that mean? And and to the rest of the state, those Northwest Conference teams, they look like they're not quite as good because they've been beaten up on each other, and right. so they're six and three or seven and two. And when you look at records, it's like, well, there's this nine and zero team and this eight and one team. Like, you know, one of the things John talked about was playoff history really isn't a factor. They're they're basically looking at their season performance as a whole, win loss. Um, strength of schedule also is a factor in. So, again, example, looking at Hawkinson, the defending champs who haven't lost in their last 20 games, ideally 
you're not going to really factor that in. But, I mean, in the back of your head, you're going to think, yeah, is Hawkinson an overall one seed? They absolutely are deservingly so, given what they've accomplished this year um, against their opponents and what their opponents' opponents have done. So I think even though you, know, you look at Hawkinson and, and how much um, – of a dominant program they've been over the last two years, you can say that's not always a guarantee. Again, the, you know, the, the previous playoff um, results are not supposed to be factored in. Yeah, you know, I saw another uh, tweet exchange from, I think it was uh, Jeff Graham at the Kitsap Sun, was tweeting out last week that he felt that, you know, North Kitsap was getting the short end of the stick in the two-way polls because not enough people were voting for them. And then someone else from around the state goes, well, you know, they play over in the Olympic Peninsula over there. They're not really playing a lot of quality teams. The only team to actually, you know, get to state in the last three, four years from that area is North Kitsap. And so, you know, people kind of want to see. And so, and so in, in a sense, it's like, you know, past history isn't supposed to play a role, but it's sitting back it's, there it, it in is. the back of the head going, well, you know, these guys haven't really, haven't really done much. You know, I mean, Hawkinson's kind of, you know, Hawkinson had that for years where the two-way Greater St. Helens Lakes would go up to play the two-way EBCO teams, and they would get hammered. You know, this is like late 2006 to 2011 or so. And then Hawkinson sort of flipped the switch, and they were starting to get some wins and then built a program. Um, but a lot of times, yeah, you're going looking back, and that goes, well, until that league shows me something. Exactly, yeah. You know? Um so anyway, so it's, it's interesting. I, but the one good thing, and this is, I think, one good thing about this whole system is that um, is they are taking into some account um, geography. And they're, you know, you know, they're going to try to keep teams playing each other where they don't have to cross, you know, drive six hours to play somebody, if possible. But um, they're not going to regionalize the bracket as much as it was previously. Because, like, like for instance, North Kitsap, one of the comments somebody made on, on Twitter was like, well, you know, actually I think it was Ryland Spencer who said, well, maybe uh, you, the North Kitsap will play Archbishop Murphy again. Because apparently they played them like three years straight. They've been bounced by Archbishop Murphy. Because mm -hmm. that's the way the bracket, the, the bracket was like, right. it was the same. It, get, it kept getting the same. A Mountain View run up against Peninsula the last couple of years. It's like the bracket just, you know, you keep running into the same teams sure. because the bracket sort of waited for that to happen. And this year, I think I think the way they're, they're going to set that up, that's going to be less likely to happen. Right, and realistically, and John mentioned this too, and I <coughs> didn't uh, find space to put in the story, but if, if you have a 15 and 16 team and they're on opposite sides of the state, what realistically is the difference between a 15 seed and a yeah. 16 seed? Yeah. So that's when they talk about ge geographically not having, uh, let's say, Pullman as a 16 seed, for example, coming over to play Hawkinson. Well, let's say maybe the 15 seed is a Stillicum or, or something like that of the South Puget Sound League, then that's make that a little bit more better for travel considerations for both teams. Right, right. But they're not, you know, they're not, the previous bracket was set up so that, you know, Pullman was going to play Clarkson, was going to play, you know, somebody from Yakima or something like that, you know. And, uh, and another thing that, that I always thought was interesting in the 4A bracket, so this week is uh, state, we call them state preliminary games, we call them state qualifying games. The way it, it works is the four districts on the west side of the state, one, two, three, and four, four is Grace and Helens Lakes, they kind of take, they pull together all of their state bids and they play each other off for those berths. Um, and then the uh, District 8, which is uh, Spokane and the Tri-Cities, they play off for the other ones. And then there's District 6, mm -hmm. which is Moses Lake, Wenatchee. Yes. Uh, last year they got two berths. 
and they say, oh no, two births is just fine for us. We'll take those two births to state and we'll just go straight to state. This year it's just one, and by rule they're allowed to pair up with a neighboring district to get a second birth, and they say, oh no, thank you, we'll take that one. Why? Because they get bumped when they get to state. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, like, kind of wish you would open it up and make it a 32-team bracket, like, you know. Like Oregon does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, a, something that could be considered for next year. Again, Oregon's been with that RPI and Conley rankings had 1 to 32 for, gosh, seven or eight years now. And, again, we're in a one-year trial basis, so a lot can change between now and, let's say, the springtime when they reevaluate the committee and, and how they decide to do the state seeding process moving forward. Well, it's, uh, this weekend figures to bring up um, some good matchups and probably some, I think, I think the games that uh, out at McKenzie probably favor the local teams. The home teams are going to be heavy favorites in that. Um, but uh, we're sending Meg on the road uh, for a couple games that are interesting. Uh, Skyview going to play Hazen uh, and then Camas Balco. So give us a little, what are you thinking about those? Yeah, so Skyview Hayes and I think, you know, Skyview, I believe, has a much favorable draw compared to Skyview, or compared to Camus, excuse me. Camus losing last week 14-7 in the league title game with, with Union. They face a very, very good Bothell team at 7-2 up at Popkini on Saturday at 3 o'clock. But you look at Hazen, Camus thumped Hazen 52 nothing. I believe it was week two week down, two. At, down at Doc Harris. So this is a team that's coming off a 10-point win over Enumclaw. And Enumclaw, I was thinking, was going to be Skyview's opponent given their record and kind of the head-to-head matchup of what they've done all season. But Hazen seems to be playing very well. you got to remember Jelani McGee is out with a season-ending foot injury that happened against week seven against Camus. Uh, Tyler DeJong last week against Heritage had four rushing touchdowns. He's going to, I think, get the bulk of the carries. But I, I see this this game could be in Skyview's favor. Yeah, the 4A Greater St. Helens League uh, hasn't lost a Week 10 game since 2013. 10-0 since 20-13. North Puget Sound League the last two years, I believe, is 1-16 in Week 10 games. So, yeah, you can look at that bracket and go, oh, no, and the King Cove, which is where Bothell comes from, they're like 7-1 the last two years. Oof. Or six and two, seven and one, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, when you look at those matchups, you kind of go, "Ooh, that doesn't that doesn't fare well for for Camus and, and a little bit better for Skyview." Um, Andy is going to where the heck are we sending? La Center on Friday. La Center Elma. That's going to be an interesting game. And then another interesting game is Woodland Tumwater on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, La Center Elma. Um, a team, Elma, I mean, was talking to John Lambert at Le Center yesterday, and, and he sees Elma as a team that's very similar. Um, they're going to they're gonna have some size up front. Um, they're going to run the ball. Um, but, you know, Le Center replaced a lot of guys from last year's team, and, and if there's, you know, anything they learned this season is that they they can't just show up on Friday and, you know, expect to you know, look at their roster and say, you know, we have double the amount of kids as the opposite team and we're going to roll and and you know our talent level is going to make up for maybe some uh lack of preparation they they can't snooze through any games um so you know that'll certainly be be an interesting matchup um elma i think has four losses on the season um Le center is sitting here they're four and five four and five and they lost their first four um but they're certainly battle tested i mean they went out and played what kalama woodland hoquiam 
Um, who's that fourth loss against? Um, I can't remember, but they feel like uh, they would have liked to have gotten one of those games early, but they, you know, are are definitely feel like they've uh, been put through the ringer. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think I think LeCenter now is a completely different team than they were in September, and uh, I think if you look at you know, the production of Wyatt Dotson and what he's been able to do in October, I think it's that's uh, I think you can point that to the the development of the offensive line and, and creating opportunities and, and, and stuff. So I know they really, really were hoping to get a chance at a tiebreaker. I think they really sort of felt like turnovers killed them against Stevenson and and they would have liked that chance. But now, you know, it's playoff time and uh, they can put themselves in a, in a position to get to state with a win over a tough Elma team. And then uh, – and actually, you uh, you spoke to one of the uh, center players this week, didn't you? I did, yeah. I spoke to Gavin Bishop, a, a center and defensive tackle uh, senior. Um, we will play that interview after the three of us are finished talking, but uh, got a chance to uh, meet Gavin and catch up about uh, what a season it's been, some of the ups and downs, and uh, particularly the last two weeks, uh, ups with their win in uh, week eight over Columbia White Salmon that was – one on a furious last-minute uh, last drive and a touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone by, I believe it was Andrew Scott. Um, so they, they had that, and then, and then kind of a big statement went over Castle Rock. Um, so uh, talked to him, uh, got some, some good stuff, a really nice, uh, nice kid, and uh, we'll, we'll be interested to see what LeCenter does on, on Friday. And you got Woodland Tumwater. That is a interesting matchup. Very very yeah so so Tumwater I think I think you talked about this on last week's podcast uh, if I'm if I'm not wrong but because uh, when you covered um, was it Woodland and Woodland they had, River they had just yeah Woodland River and they had just learned that Tumwater lost and it was just kind of Tyler Flanagan re- figuring that out in real time yeah it's kind of he's kind of working it through his head you know um, but yeah now they've had a couple weeks to get ready and and they kind of know what's ahead of them and um, you know, Tumwater's got uh, a tradition, and they've got a lot of d- players on that team, and but we haven't seen very many people who have been able to stop Tyler Flanagan from moving the ball this no, year. No, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a who can stop who because w- the Woodland uh, front seven is really going to have to stop the run. Um, you know, um, they've at times the defense has stepped up and and uh, you know really done okay this season I mean they're eight and one um, but anything anything is gonna come by way of Tyler Flanagan um, just the Tumwater's ability to stop him um, and and account for him in the past game uh, is, is gonna completely hinge upon you know the result and I did the math Tyler's now up to 48 touchdowns he's been a part of this year That's so crazy. it's just a remarkable year he's had obviously last week against Mark Morris um, broke his father's long-standing uh, single-season rushing record that lasted exactly 30 years. So and came on like a on like a 70-yard touchdown. It did run 75 like yards. <laughs> and it was still the, the second, first quarter. The first quarter, yeah. Yeah, and, and I get a, a text message. My I, I'm out at McKenzie Stadium, and my phone lights up, and it's a photo of Tyler and Glenn posing from Richie Hart. So <laughs> shout out for the photo. Thanks, Richie. Yeah, I was I was off last week. I was getting uh, rejuvenated at a men's retreat on the coast, and. I just had, there was a break, and, and I just kind of peeked at my phone at 7.30 or something, and I looked at that, and I went, and there was a tweet up from somebody, I think it was from 
the Whitlam account. But he had broken the record, and it was like 730 or something like that. Wait, wait, he had, had to get like 170 yards. Yeah, 178 yards he needed, and he had 110 after the first quarter. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so other teams uh, playing this week, um, you know, for some teams, you know, just making it to this point is something to be celebrated, and that's where the Prairie Falcons are. They have first-year coach Mike Peck. They are back in the playoffs for the first time since, was it 2011? 2011, only second time in 20 years as well. Yeah, so, um, you know, a great accomplishment. they got to go up against Lincoln in Tacoma on uh, Friday night. Um, but uh, Meg's got an interesting story, and she's going to have it in Friday's edition of the Columbia. Why don't you give us a little quick little preview about what that's all about. Yeah, I spent some time Tuesday um, talking to a very great kid, Junior Devontae Clayton. If you have not heard of him, he's a, a spectacular player. He's a, he's an all-league defensive end and inside linebacker. And also uh, splits carries on offense as tailback uh, with Brett McGuire. So kind of that thunder and lightning duo for the Falcons. But uh, what makes Devontae's story so unique is um, he's basically uh, bounced around uh, kind of roof to roof, couch to couch for the last four to five years. So he's not really had a stable home situation um, with his parents. And so he's had to rely on uh, friends, family, um, strangers at some point to really kind of take him in. And so he's now um, under the guidance of an assistant coach on Prairie staff who hopes to make it a permanent living situation. So it's quite the ordeal that Devonte has gone through. Um, the last number of years, but he's having a great year for Prairie, and uh, hopefully it's a sign of things to come for him. Yeah, wow. well, looking forward to that. Yeah. All right, Andy, uh, get it, so we'll, uh, we'll wrap up our talk in here, and we'll, we'll set up what, uh, what we're going to hear to finish us off here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm bummed that uh, Micah could not be with us. I'm sure he's out trick-or-treating right now. Yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure he is. I'd like to also give a shout-out to the uh, two Bay football players who came by my house to get some candy. So way to go, guys. You look great. <laughs> <laughs> what were they wearing? They were wearing their Bay football gear. So oh, clearly they, uh, they, have not, uh, they did not turn in their gear yet. But uh, they, they look great. Pillowcases? No pillowcases. Oh, okay. Nope, nope. Just, just, I yeah, see those pillowcases. I'm like, I used to have two buckets. I had the good stuff, and then I had, like, the cheap stuff. And <laughs> All right, without further ado, uh, my interview with Gavin Bishop. All right, I am here at LeCenter High School um, with LeCenter Center and defensive tackle senior Gavin Bishop. Um, LeCenter is headed to the postseason where they'll play uh, Elma this weekend. They finished second in the Trico League. Uh, Gavin, how has this week looked, and uh, what are you looking forward to on Friday? Um, I think this Friday is going to be a great game. It's going to be very physical. It will be a good matchup to see where we go. What do you guys know about Elma? Uh, they run the ball a lot and they pass sometimes, but they're very physical up front, I've heard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So going into this year, um, you guys were kind of an interesting case. Like we do league predictions every year at the Columbian um, to preview the high school football season. And looking at LeCenter, I mean, you guys replaced so many players from last year. I mean, it's basically a brand new team. But if there's any team that can – you know, lose almost everyone and uh, still do well the next year. It's the center. Um, how would you grade your guys' season? And uh, w do you feel like, you know, you guys still have room to grow at this point? Uh, I would kind of rank us like a B average. I mean, we kind of struggled in the beginning, but we're still we're still going up. I mean, we're doing pretty good. So, As a senior, did you feel like it was um, you were called upon to, to lead this season? And how, how has that senior leadership been? Um, it was 
good. I mean, I'm kind of a silent person. Like, get your stuff done, play by play. Just do your job. Don't do somebody else's, kind of. So. And on the line, I mean, for, for all of the position and skill uh, skill positions you guys had to replace, um, on the line you guys were returning some uh, experience, right? Yeah, we had two returning varsity players, but all the rest have played JV, so it was kind of – it was rough in the beginning, let's just say that. Yeah. How were you anticipating um, the season coming into the year, uh, given that you guys were replacing so many people? I knew – Personally, I knew it was going to be kind of rough, but I knew we would overcome it and then be in the postseason. I knew that we would find a way and be there. So. Being on teams in past years, I mean, last year's team, obviously being a kind of a beacon example of making it to the 1A State semifinals, um, do you feel like uh, for the guys on last year's team, did you feel like you kind of learned a, a winning blueprint? Yeah, I believe so. They just... They did every. They did their job. They didn't do somebody else's job in trying to re- replace. I guess you would say, and they just got the job done. Play by play. That's all I can say. What does this week look for you guys in practice? How much um, at this point of the season? You yeah, having played so much football, how much recovery are you doing uh, versus uh, preparation for this upcoming Friday? I think we just need to keep our players healthy and then just. Do what we do. Don't even change anything. Just play football. So explain to me this uh, game you guys are playing in. It's, we're, this is six-period weight training um, that Center uh, head coach John Lambert um, teaches. What's I walked into the gym, and uh, everyone was going crazy. You guys were playing some sort of game involving a football. <laughs> Walk me through it. So basically, it's ultimate frisbee but with a football. It's called aerial football. So it's basically just ultimate frisbee, which is pretty fun. That sounds like a good time. Yes, very, very intense. It w- in a weight training class, do you look forward to days where you're doing something like that? Yeah, I look forward to it every week. <laughs> oh, you guys do it every week? Mm-hmm, every Tuesday. And then Fridays we do P90X stretching. Oh, wow. Nice. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So you guys start the season, um, I believe, 0-4. Um, mm-hmm. It was a very LeCenter-like to go out and schedule as, as tough as you did. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you learn about yourselves uh, within those first four weeks, and do you, do you feel like you uh, built character? I think we built character because we fought through, and one coach said was, trust the process. So I think right now, since we played such a tough beginning schedule, I think it's prepared us for state and stuff how so i mean we played kalama to be champions and then richfield woodland they're all just great programs so i feel like it prepared us for other teams did you feel like you know through those first four games um was coach lambert constantly telling you guys you know trying to keep your heads up saying like hey these are these are losses um but you guys are learning a lot, and, and it will, you know, eventually come back in, in, uh, in your favor. How, how were those conversations early? He just kept on saying, just trust the system. It would all work out. Just keep your heads up. It's another week. Just keep on going. Yeah. What have you been most impressed with um, from an improvement standpoint with you guys? Improvement? I would say, like, not giving up. Like, 
when we were losing, we always fought through. We never just gave up and like, oh, well, we got him next week. We always fought through and everything. How would you grade uh, the offensive line this year? Um, your offense, um, one of the key returners, um, in addition to yourself, Wyatt Dodson at running back, mm-hmm. um, who has carried a, a big load for you guys in the backfield this yep. year, but, but your guys' offense relies um, so heavily on the run, on the run game. Um, mm-hmm. How would you grade uh, the offensive line, and, and how has that kind of come together throughout the season? I'd rate it as, it was kind of rough in the beginning because we had a new scheme we were running, but I think overall it's clicked, and then we had a couple little changes, and those changes were good, so now it's all a good system now, so which is good. How much... Looking at this Friday's game uh, against Elma, how much are you guys looking at um, them versus um, focusing on yourself, like film versus um, kind of preparation within your own team? I would say it's more like a 50-50. So we watch film, and then we go outside, and we work on us. And we just do our thing. That's all I can say. Sure, sure. (laughs) Um, So I covered the... Your guys' home win against Seton Catholic. And that was the last time I watched you guys play. And after that game, Coach Lambert told me, you know, hey, we are, at this point, we're tired of uh, character-building losses. We need to start winning some games, and we're going to, essentially, is what he said. I'm paraphrasing. But, um, you know, you guys responded with you know, back-to-back weeks of, obviously, a huge win against, uh, was it Columbia White Salmon? Mm-hmm. On a last-second touchdown. Mm-hmm. And then um, just a... What, what felt like a statement win last week against mm-hmm. Castle Rock. Uh, what, what have these past two weeks been like, and, and how were you guys able to kind of flip the script so quickly in league play? Honestly, I think it goes back to the beginning of our schedule. We just kept on, it just all click, and the O-line played great those two games, which led to Wyatt going and make rushing yards and then giving our quarterback time to throw. So I think it just really began up front. Yeah, one of the reasons that – I wanted to talk to you today was uh, because as much as uh, as great as Wyatt was Wyatt Dotson is and and he's he is one of the best running backs in Clark County um, he, he doesn't get any yards without uh, you know he he doesn't make his mark without the work of the O-line um, what's that relationship like between you guys and how do you build trust between a running back and, a, and an O-line I mean I think it just goes back to just do your job and he'll find room to get yards I mean just do your job yeah mm-hmm. what's been the most fun game for you this season I would say probably the white salmon game yeah, yeah. what how so just going that last drive all the way down and then getting to Andrew Scott to get that touchdown catch to win the game was pretty pretty nice especially seeing as though when you guys went and played at Stevenson Stevenson obviously just one league um, went undefeated with a win over Columbia White Salmon last Friday. Um, you guys went to Stevenson early in the year and uh, lost, and that was a that was a close game too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys had a, a, a final drive, I believe, um, with just thirty seconds left. But to have that not go your way, and then to have it go your way last week, I'm I'm sure that must have felt really good. It felt really good. Like it was just amazing. I can't. There's no other words to explain it. How do you guys, uh, are you used to at this point kind of turning uh, toward postseason um, and knowing that everything is kind of week by week? Yeah, I think everybody knows it's not guaranteed. Next week is not guaranteed, so you better go out on Friday and 
just get a win. Do you have any postseason uh, rituals or, or pregame rituals that you feel like that you guys do throughout the season that'll carry you forward? Just I music in the locker room, just get that pregame hype. I mean, nothing much. What are the songs you guys listen to? Uh, there's a couple. Uh, Paradise by Big Sean, and then um, Uproar by Lil Wayne. That's a good one. And then there's one called Gasolina by... I think it's like I King or something like that. It's a pretty good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get, do you guys listen to them in a specific order every before every game? Just we just put it on shuffle and just let it play. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, well, awesome, Gavin. I appreciate you uh, joining the podcast this week, and I uh, wish you the best of luck on Friday. Thank you for having me.